Okay. Good morning, Mariana. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Good morning. It's great to be with you. Why don't we start off by you introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Mariana Saxe. I'm the founder of Jackalow. And Jackalow is actually America's first circular children's clothing brand. And we design long-lasting, comfortable, and sustainable clothes for kids and sometimes women. And then we buy the clothes back when outgrown to be renewed and resold or responsibly recycled. And what do you mean, like, what is included in responsibly recycled? Yeah, so we are focused on the collection part right now, but there are the vast majority of clothes that are produced or textiles that are produced just in general end up in the landfill. 85% of all textiles produced end up in the landfill. And our environment really just can't handle that. And so we need to be focused on responsible ways to dispose of clothes. So there's lots of ways to dispose of clothes that are not responsible from either an environmental standpoint, like going in the landfill, or like from a social and political standpoint, like exporting our unwanted clothes to Africa, where they disrupt the local economy and create a pollution problem for them as well. And so for us, what responsible recycling looks like is, number one, making sure that textiles stay here in the United States and are either disposed of in a way that allows them to return to the earth. So we use 100% organic cotton. So all of our clothes are actually compostable. And so it really just takes removing the elements that are not compostable, like elastic or grommets buttons, things like that. Um, and they could be composted. We haven't done that yet. Or we work with responsible, excuse me, responsible recycling partners that do things like turning fat disposable, disposed clothes into insulation and racks. Now that's interesting. So using it for house building? Yeah, things like that. I mean, I would love to get into textile, the textile recycling. I think it's a really cool area. And I would love to one day be able to say that our new Jacklow clothes are made from our old Jacklow clothes. Um, but the quantities of clothes that you need to be able to do that is tremendous. And we're still a really small brand. So that's not feasible for us right now. What is feasible is just making sure that clothes don't end up in the landfill or get shipped off to Africa. Okay. And so obviously, if the listeners have not guessed yet, we are talking about sustainability. And yeah. in this case, in terms of in terms of clothing, I was speaking with someone who is at senior levels of one of the largest beauty companies in the world, and they were saying that it is impossible or unthinkable for a brand to go to market with a new product without having one form of sustainability claim. So either about the recyclability yeah. or about the packaging or about the materials that are being used in there. However, <laughs> there was going to be a but. Yeah. The, the date, and we know that Gen Z, the uh, incoming generation, is very, very passionate about sustainability, rightly so, and far more so than older generations. Um, mm -hmm. And I believe the number for Gen Z is like 78% are very passionate about sustainability, where, and the environment, whereas boomers, that number drops to about 46%. Mm -hmm. 
However, we also have the Shane anomaly. Shane is obviously the DTC Chinese clothing company that yeah. is on track to, I believe it's $58 billion in 2030, which is more than H&M and Zara combined. Um, yeah. And the stronghold of that of Shane's target is the Gen Z. What do you think about these conflicting pieces of data? Do you see it in your consumers? Do you see it in your field? Um, is it true? Is it not true? Yeah, I mean, it, we, we, we are living in a paradoxical time we're, where the vast majority of people, particularly young people, are concerned about the environment and are actually willing to spend more money on products that do have a strong environmental claim. Um, KPMG has been following the consumer trends on this for years. And in the past 10 years, we've seen really, really great changes. Um, and then comes the rise of Shane and, and Boohoo and all of these other fast fashion brands that are producing in such enormous quantities at really inexpensive prices. And to be honest, I, I really think that the people who are shopping from Shane are not necessarily the people who are making these strong environmental claims. And so like, or having that as part of their identity as shoppers. So I see that like the boat, it seems paradoxical, but the two can exist at the same time. Sheehan is paying like pennies to their workers. They're a terrible company and we need to be focused more on sustainable consumption. And so the element that gives me hope with Gen Z and sustainable consumption is the anticipated growth of the secondhand market that we see more and more young people ditching fast fashion and moving to vintage and really driving the growth of secondhand peer-to-peer -peer platforms as well as I like platforms that are not peer-to-peer -peer, but more like a, a thread up where they're selling secondhand goods and more on a bulk basis. So, so do you think that's the future? I know here, so I'm in Europe and we have yep. Vinted, which is yep. a huge hit amongst Target, my daughter's age, she's 17. And, okay. you know, she has a little shop, so she kind of feels like a, a girl boss in her hard time. Nice, <laughs> nice. Cool selling her clothes, you know, for three, four bucks here. And it's, it's obviously far less than what we paid for it, but, but it keeps it in a circular economy. If we had to look at what's going to be the big trend for the future in, in clothing, sustainability, and circular, what do you think is going to be driving it? Is it the secondhand platform peer-to-peer? -peer? Where, where should we keep our eyes on in the future for sustainability to go? I'd I would say secondhand writ large. So some of it's going to be peer-to-peer, -peer, but as someone who has done some peer-to-peer -peer myself, you know, I, I shop on Poshmark, which is like the American vintage. It's a lot of work, you know, and 
it requires you to be photographing your products well, branding them, like really promoting them. It's a business. Yeah. And so some people are going to be okay with that business and be excited to participate in that. Other people are not. And other people are going to want the kind of faster option. So that's where in the U.S. ThreadUp can come in, where you send a bag of clothes off to them and they photograph and mark everything for sale. You make significantly less off of that. But it is a way to do it without the work. So I would be looking at models like that. From my brand's perspective, one of the things that I'm hoping for more of is seeing more people participating in brand-owned pre-loved programs. So there are more brands making use of, I like the idea of seeing more brands own their resale platform. Patagonia does it. Eileen Fisher does it. There are more and more brands who are doing this. There are white label services for it. But I really think that it's a valuable way to connect with consumers that are really interested in the circular economy without a lot of work for them. And so do you think more of like your program? So you said people can bring their clothes back to you. Do you yeah. buy them back or are we do? Okay. And yeah, not so we keep it really simple. We buy it back for a flat fee. So we don't we don't like wait until it comes back and check. OK, you know, what's the condition? We buy it back for a flat fee. And then. If it can't be reused, it goes into our area for recycling. Um, and if it needs like some repairs, we're happy to do repairs on them and make sure that they you know get a longer life and we just price them accordingly. And then you sell those pre mm -hmm. pre loved, which yep. I, love. I love. Whoever came up with that one. Now you've been doing. You've had this company for a while. How have you yeah. seen the interest in sustainability or the relationship with sustainability change over time? I, I've seen it change dramatically over time. So when Jackalow was just a baby of an idea, and I was doing my research and talking to all sorts of people in the fashion space in particular and telling them I wanted to create this brand that was sustainability front and center, everybody was telling me, no, this is not a good idea. Like, don't put sustainability front and center. Like, sustainability can be buried on your product information, but you need to lead with the product features and benefits which I understand, like, of course, product features and benefits have to be front and center. I just didn't agree with them that sustainability should not be front and center too. And so I, from day one, led with sustainability, that I led with the fact that there were not sustainable options for families who have active kids that are the kids who are blowing through the knees of their pants. I mean, that's really where this all started. The kids who are blowing through the knees of their pants, who don't want to wear jeans, you know, they're sensitive, they want something more comfortable. And so I felt there was a really big gap in the market that we didn't have clothes that were strong enough for active kids, that were comfortable for sensitive souls and sustainable. And so what I said all along was we need to have these three things front and center. 
And what I found was that when I asked people who came to me, who found my company, you know, why they picked Jackalow, they always said, you guys talk about your sustainability. You make it easy for us. Because one of the things, I mean, I thought this was a really interesting data point that's a recent data point from KPMG is that 76% 76 of people who are interested in, who are concerned about the environment and interested in making environmentally kind of friendly purchases don't know how to assess a company. They don't know how to make these decisions. And so when a company is front and center about these are the things we value. These are the things that are important to us. It takes the work away from the consumer. So for me as a consumer, when I'm looking for something, if I'm not looking secondhand and I'm looking for something new, take, for example, undergarments. I'm always going to be looking for new on those. Right. <laughs> That's a tough secondhand market. <laughs> yeah, you're not really looking secondhand on those. But like, so for undergarments and intimates, I don't like to have to dig on a website to understand the sustainability story of that company. And, you know, frankly, my consumers are like me. They are parents who care about the world that we are leaving behind for our kids and want to make decisions that align with that. And parents don't have a lot of time. We all know that. You want to make the decision like easy for them. And so if sustainability is a factor in their decision-making, then put that front and center, make it really easy for them to understand that story, not buried deep on like the 15th sustainability page that, you know, has a very weak statement about using Ecotex fabrics. Like that's not enough. Well, I suspect that most of the brands that keep it buried on page 15 and it's one line is because there's not a huge story to tell. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and consumers are getting smart. They're learning that. They're they're learning about the things to look for when it comes to assessing sustainability. So to that point, I read another piece of data that said that 43% of the claims regarding sustainability made by products, and I don't remember if this was specific to a product category like beauty or it was like the in the greenwashing category, let's say. Yeah. That the 43% of these claims were either false or deceptive. Mm. So that's an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, and you know, it's an interesting point about where to put sustainability in your messaging. Because as a yeah. as a brand person, I would also advise that. It has to be an also, right? Like, as you said, you make good clothes that are sustainably managed, but I would yeah. never come to you just because it was sustainable, right? There also has to be the pillar of the quality there. Otherwise, yeah. you know, and I, I was advising a girl actually from um, the Harvard Ventures who wanted to make bathing suits, but the only thing she was selling the bathing suits on was that they were sustainable and that it was circular and I said well I also want to look good in the things you know so yeah let's make sure they 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 have an aesthetic story as well or an aesthetic point of view that is going to appeal to someone right it has to be built on on both pillars in my opinion but 
what about the people who are being deceptive and and what can we how can we help consumers be able to discern the difference? The first thing I always advise is ask. Reach out to customer service, reach out to whomever, ask a question, okay? And see how they respond. If they are providing a certain depth of information, you're going to you're going to get a sense of what they're doing, whether it's good. So for example, if you reach out to a company and ask about their cotton, is their cotton organic? And they hem and haw or don't actually address the question, then they're probably not a company you want to support. You can always look for third-party certifications. Those are always valuable. But make sure that you're looking for ones that are actually legit. There are fair trade certifications. There are multiple of those. The challenge, however, is that those certifications are costly. They're costly for factories to get, and they are costly for brands as well. So you may find smaller brands, and I will admit that mine is one of them, where I buy fabric that is organic, that's got certified organic cotton. I work with a factory that is got certified, but I'm small enough that I don't have the brand certification. Um, and in my opinion, for some people it is. If you're going to wear a garment for 10 years because it's really well made um, and you're going to get a ton of use out of it and you're like, you know what? I It's really a favorite. I know this is going to become a favorite. I'm okay with it not being organic because it's just so well made. Um, I hope that you're thinking about things like who made it, you know, and are they paid fairly? Is it well made because it's made by someone who really cares and has a fairly paid job? The vast majority of people who make clothes in the in our world do not have a fairly paying job. And so, you know, that that employment factor is definitely part of sustainability. So I think really to TLDR it, ask questions. Just reach out and ask questions. You shouldn't have to. That's annoying to me that it is the burden of the consumer. But being a smart consumer means being a smart researcher. Right. So if you genuinely care about this, you're going to have to do a little bit of research. Yeah. A little bit. Which I think... But is- like... Good. There, but there are companies out there that will do the research for you. And so you can feel good about that. And so one of my favorites is Good On You. They are a global app that ranks brands. So you can put in um, a brand that you're interested in purchasing from, and they will give it a not good enough to a great rating based on multiple factors around the environment and around employment standards. And so that's a great shorthand. Look at the work of people who do this on a regular basis. There's a lovely blog called Sustainably Kind Living. She regularly lists sustainable brands for different areas, whether it's kids' brands or sustainable lingerie, sustainable handbags, whatever. There are people who are not out there to just get you to buy, 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 but to help you buy smarter. 
Okay. So I'm actually just making a list of all the different business channels that are, could grow up around the concept of sustainability. Um, yeah. I was also like putting together also the pieces of what you were saying, because I think sometimes we can think of sustainability in terms of is the material recycled? Can it be recycled? But you're right. Mm -hmm. Where did it come from? How is it made? How is yeah. it delivered? Mm -hmm. uh, it, what's the quality of the garment? Because if you have to replace your clothes every three minutes, then obviously that's an issue. The circular ability of the... Yeah the garment itself, and also the chain of distribution. And what about denim? Because it's my understanding that denim is sort of the the evil. <laughs> the evil character. Yeah, I mean, like, denim's one of those funny things because it's like, look, denim was made to be workwear. It's made to be long-lasting. The original denim is incredibly sustainable, you know? Its origins are sustainable. Indigo, the dye, is a plant. It is completely sustainable. Cotton is a natural fiber. Again, sustainable if done in an organic way. What we have done to denim is what is not sustainable. A lot of the pre-wearing in that is done is not done in a safe or sustainable manner. So it can be done with like a sanding machine by someone who doesn't have the proper protection on their face to ensure that they're not aspirating the fibers that are expelled into the air. And then, of course, the vast majority of denim is made from conventional cotton, which uses a ton of pesticides in its growth and a lot, a lot of water. And often water in places that cannot afford to use that much water. So water in, in drought-sensitive environments. Um, so standard denim is not sustainable. There are companies out there that are doing better things with denim that are moving back to organic dyes. So using the traditional indigo, again, our denim is organic. And if you choose a denim that doesn't have stretch, then it is going to be longer lasting and recyclable in the end or compostable if it's um, an organic product. Um, but also denim works really well as a secondhand garment. Like it really does work well. I am literally wearing vintage Levi's right now and I love them. They look better the longer they age. They look really cool when you repair them. So like as with any garment, there are a million ways to make sustainable choices at whatever price point you can afford. So I have kind of a provocative question here. Okay. So one of the challenges with the fashion slash garment industry is that a lot of brands only make a very specific set of sizes. Yeah. And the average woman's size, particularly in the United States, goes beyond the range of what's being produced, which yeah. is one of the reasons why companies like Shane do so well because they have a very full, I know I was speaking to a group of women in a perimenopause, menopause group, and they were saying that they could not find clothes that fit them anymore. And the only solution that they had that was like moderately fashionable was Shane. And so they were almost like 
forced to be into this corner of the market despite what their opinions were on on sustainability or not. How can a company maintain sustainability, respond to what's going on in the market, and still make money? Because at the end of the day, we do have to remember these are businesses, right? Especially the larger companies. Uh, if they don't make money, they don't stay in business. They have to close. How, like, what do you think about navigating all of these different tensions? Is there a way to do it? I think there is. I think companies that are assuming that they can't do plus size clothes are thinking incorrectly. And I'm, and I think in particular, mid to large size companies, it's a little bit different when you're like a very small company. But because to do it right, you do need to ensure that you have fit models of different sizes and that you are, you know, doing the research to make sure that the products are good. But there is a market there for this. There are so many women, people in general, not not just women, but there are so many plus size people who are not being served by the slow fashion or sustainable fashion community. There are people out there who are doing good work to push brands to be more size inclusive. And there are people specifically who are advising brands on how to do this. And so I would look to the work of women like Aja Barber, like she's in London. She's a well-known sustainable fashion advocate, but she really specializes in plus size fashion or not plus size, I would say size inclusive. And so some of it honestly is thinking about designs differently. So where can you make use of innovative fabrics or elastics that, you know, just allow clothes to to flex with a person as their body changes because nobody's body stays the same their entire life. And so there are innovative companies out there. I think the name of the swimwear company is You. They're a British company. They make like a one-size bathing suit. And it's because this fabric is kind of like a crinkle fabric and it just really flexes tremendously. And there's... Other companies out there who are just doing more with shapes that can flex as people's body size changes. And so what I would say is if you're thinking it's impossible to design for in a size inclusive way and still make money, you're thinking incorrectly. So before we let you go... Tell us where we can find your store and where people can learn more about you and Jackalope. Sure. We're at hellojackalope.com and Jackalope is J-A-C-K-A-L-O. We're all over the social medias at Hello Jackalope as well. And yeah, I mean, the, the best way to reach out is through through our website. You can send us send us an email at hello at hello Jackalope or just Find me on Instagram. I am I am there. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for your time and wisdom today, Marianne. It was a great conversation. Thank you. It was great speaking with you.